Brian Smith is a certified life coach and grief guide and a small business consultant. Brian's mission is to help others by sharing lessons he has learned from decades of experience and study. Brian became well acquainted with grief in 2015 after the sudden passing of his 15-year-old daughter, Shana. After Shana's passing, Brian felt his life was over. He had to learn to survive for the sake of his wife, Tawana, and their daughter, Kayla. Brian has studied the nature of life and death and how to progress through grief. In his grief work, Brian provides a safe space where you can safely share what you are experiencing. Perhaps most importantly, he can help you understand that death is not goodbye and that the relationship with you and your loved one can continue. His understanding is not a religious-based belief, but a position arrived at based on reason and evidence. Brian is on the board of Soul Phone Foundation and Helping Parents Heal. Brian is the author of Grief to Growth, Planted, Not Buried. He is the host of Grief to Growth podcast. You can find Brian at www.grieftogrowth.com. Welcome back, Grief Nation listeners, and thank you for tuning in to It's the Miami Night Show, Grief Talk. Today on our show, I have um, grief guide Brian Smith, who is a Shining Light parent, and um, he's going to talk to us a little bit today about an array of things. So let's just get right into it. Hello, Brian. How are you? Hi, Miami. Thanks for having me. You're so welcome. So talk to us about your journey um, with your daughter, Shana. All right. Um, well, I'll start with Shana's transition. Uh, my journey actually starts obviously long before that, but I'll start with her transition. Um, Shana was 15 years old when she made a transition from this world into the next world. And that was on June 24th of 2015. Shana was, um, she was, she would have been going into 10th grade. She was a volleyball player. She was a basketball player. She was a, a, a top student athlete. Uh, she was like 16 in her class out of about 600. Uh, we'd homeschooled her for like eight years. So she'd only been in, in, in uh, public school for a couple of years. Uh, Shana had been diagnosed with a syndrome called Wolf Parkinson's White, which is a syndrome where the heart actually accelerates um, just on its own. And it, But with Shana's case, it would always accelerate, usually for about 30 seconds at a time, and it would go back into a normal rhythm. So we'd had a couple of procedures on her. They're called ablations. And the cardiologist told us she would be fine come back every couple of years to have it checked out. It was not a life-threatening thing. And if anything, it should have affected her during exercise. So we had no idea that Shana, you know, had any kind of a serious condition. It was considered to be very mild and very controllable. Um, so on June 24th, 2015, I went to wake, my wife actually went to wake her up. I was out on my morning walk uh, and I was in my office, take that back. I was in my office. My wife went to wake her up because Shana hadn't been responding to the text my wife was sending her saying it's time to come down to the, to the basement and go to work because she helped us with the business. Uh, when we went to wake her up, she was unresponsive. So um, we called the ambulance, of course, took her to the hospital where she was pronounced as, as having deceased. So this was uh, obviously sudden. It was unexpected. It was um, it was a shock. You know, so you go through the whole thing of like 
did this really happen? You feel like you're, you're walking through a dream. I mean, literally one second I'm in my office and everything's okay in the world. And, you know, a few minutes later, my entire world has changed. And I remember being at the hospital when the chaplain came in to tell us that they had pronounced her. And I'm like, this is it. This is the end of my life. My life is, is over. I mean, it's just literally a thought that, that went through my head. I don't, I don't know. How do I go on from this? I mean, you, you can't, you can't even imagine a life without your youngest daughter. We had two, we have two daughters, uh, Shana and her sister, Kayla, uh, Kayla's three years older. Um, so Kayla was on vacation at the time. So I had to call Kayla and tell her and, you know, to telling her that, you know, her sister didn't wake up that morning. It's just like, you know, it's the worst thing I've ever, you know, had to do. So that's what, uh, kind of kicked things off in terms of my, my grief journey. And, um, so from there it was just, it was crazy. I mean, literally like the next day I just had this feeling like you need to start a blog. And I wanted to, I wanted to journal, journal my journey. So I started a blog, um, shanalane.com. Uh, that's her name. Her name, by the way, means shining light, um, or, or beautiful light. Her name is beautiful light. Yeah. So, um, I started the blog and I'm like, you know, what am, what am I going to do? How am I going to get through this? But people said to me, okay, we well, should contact this person. So I contact that person. They would connect me with the next person. Someone would send me a book. Um, someone directed me to a guy named Mark Ireland who had started a group called Helping Parents Heal. So I contacted Mark. He and I started communicating back and forth. I uh, ended up talking to the president of Helping Parents Heal. Her name is Elizabeth Poisson. She's one of the co-founders. And then just this whole series of synchronicities came about where my Kayla goes, for the vacation this year, the year after Shana passed, let's not go to the beach because that's where we always would go. Let's go to the desert, the opposite. So let's go to Arizona. So we go to Arizona, which we had never been to before. It happens to be where Elizabeth Poisson lives. So we didn't know that. So we met Elizabeth, started a chapter of Helping Parents Heal. And I could go on and on, but all these connections started just happening. I started meeting people and uh, doors started opening up. And so finally, uh, four years into my journey, I guess this was last year, I, someone came to me and said, you should take this life coaching course. And I'm like, why would I do that? I've never thought about becoming a life coach. I've never mentioned that to you. And this person happened to be a medium. So she was very intuitive. Yeah. So I took the course and I'm like, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. So I became a certified life coach. And because of my grief journey and my probably thousands of hours of working with parents, I decided to really kind of specialize in grief because that's what I know. Yeah. So I started grief to growth, uh, June of last year. So it's been just about a year. Wow. That's an amazing journey. And I'm sorry for your loss. And like you said, that so after all of the things that occurred after losing, um, Shana, uh, I just, I'm sitting here thinking like your journey has been just so significant to this time as well. So just like you were saying, all the different synchronicities that kept happening, happening. Mm -hmm. And then now here we are um, having this conversation and you've been, you know, working um, tirelessly, I'm sure, um, in the field of working with parents and, you know, working with others in regards to grief. And how has just being a part of the grief world and doing that work, how has that, um, 
transpose your life just outside of you know the regular norm because i'm sure before your daughter passed away you were doing something totally different but how has over this time period of you after your loss and all of the things that like you said just the synchronicities how really has that changed um yeah well it's you know it's really interesting miami i i had never heard of anything like soul planning or anything like that before shana had passed and Right now in the world I'm emerged in, there's this big deba debate about free will versus determinism or predestination. Mm -hmm. And that's that's another whole other complicated <laughs> yeah. subject we could get on. <laughs> but there's, there's a, a Danish philosopher that said, um, the life can only be understood backwards, but must be lived forward. Mm -hmm. And so as I look back over my life, I realized that everything set up the next thing. So mm -hmm. when I said my journey started long before Shana passed, when I was a child, I had this fear of death. And a really intense, uh, it's called thanatophobia. I mean, it's just, it's just not a normal fear of death. This was yeah. like, it would, I'd have panic attacks. Mm. So this happened from the time I was about 15 until I was about 40. So I was on this long journey myself to understand what is death? Do we really die? What happens when we die? Are we really, you know, eternal? I, I want to know this for sure. Mm -hmm. So I did all this research on NDEs and mediumship and after, after uh, death communications, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when Shana passed, I already had all that knowledge. I already had it intellectually. Um, and so I've, what I've realized, again, after she passed, it seems like this was planned, that it was all set up for me yeah. to be doing the work that I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. So what's changed is I was uh, I still have a business. My wife and I sell hair care products. It's called Treasure Locks. We sell black hair care products. Okay. That's, we still have that. That's, that's our main income. But what's really happened is I feel like I'm coming into my calling now. Yeah. So I, I'm doing this work and I'm, I'm making that transition myself into what I feel like I was put here to do. And for the last, you know, 35 years, it's what I've been preparing to do. Now, during that process and, and your transitioning, did you do any um, grief counseling or, or, what, or did you have that part of the, com uh, the grief community to support you? Did you do any counseling or your family at all? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there was a volunteer counselor that came to our house for a little while. She mm -hmm. was excellent. And that was uh, that was really helpful in the first part of grief when you have no idea what to expect. Right. And you don't know even what's normal. So that was very helpful. I went to a professional grief counselor. I went to see him like three times. Mm -hmm. um, the thing about traditional grief counseling, though, the, the guys you go to like that, they won't talk to you too much about the afterlife or, or staying connected. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Traditional grief counseling has always been like, let's adjust to the fact that you're going to live without this person for the rest of your life mm -hmm. and maybe for the rest of eternity because they're just gone. Yeah. So I went to see this guy three times and it was interesting because after three times, he and I agreed. It's like, not that he wasn't doing a good job, but I was doing more helping him than he was helping me because of all the things that I already knew. Right. But what I found really helpful was I found an organization called Helping Parents Heal. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you mentioned earlier, shining like parents. That's a term that's coined by helping parents heal. It's got a double meaning. One is our children are shining lights, mm -hmm. so they continue on. And we believe that and we can, we maintain that relationship. And the second thing is as parents, we can become shining lights ourselves. So that's we cool. really encourage parents to maintain that connection with their child and to heal and to become the best person that you can be, you know, going through this experience. So that helped me more than anything mm -hmm. was looking at people who were ahead of me in the journey and seeing how they had done and how they were coping and to understand, yeah, you can get through this. And then after I'd been into it for like a year, year and a half, two years, starting to help people that were kind of coming behind me in the journey. 
Yeah. So it's a it's an interesting kind of a chain of events where we we help each other. Yeah. So that's been more helpful than anything else that I've done. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, so that's going to bring me into asking you, how do you feel about the grief stages or um, during your transition? Do you feel that you had these stages that you went through or do you feel that they were just emotions that you had? Yeah. Um, the thing about the stages of grief, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross did some work on the five stages of dying. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that work has been misapplied to, to the grief process. The dying process is different because yeah. so it's a different process. So I think, and I believe this is true. She said she kind of wishes she had never, you know, even coined that phrase. Um, as far as grief goes, uh, there's a guy, I can never remember his name when I'm in an interview. I need to remember his name, but he was, he said, grief is a container for an emo- emotions. It's not really an emotion itself. Mm-hmm. So when we're going through grief, all these different things come up and you might be people you won't be but some people might be surprised by like there'll be like numbness sometimes like yeah. i just don't feel anything mm-hmm. and i've had people come to me and say i think there's something wrong with me i don't even feel sad but it's because you're so overwhelmed right so there's numbness there's shock there's fear there's denial there's guilt there's anger um all these things come up and it's kind of a swirl they're like waves they'll come over you yeah. and they don't come up in any particular order and there's no particular time frame. So the, the bad thing about the five stages of dying is it's kind of laid out in an order and people think, okay, now I'm in this stage, now I'm in this stage. And with grief, it's more like a, I'm in this stage, now I'm back in this stage, now I'm in this stage. Mm-hmm. I think this one's over, but now it's back again. So that's more how grief is. Yeah. So for an, a person that just may be new or fresh to their grief journey, um, what advice would you have for them? Um, the first thing is w- whatever you're feeling, it's probably normal. I think people feel very alone and people feel like I'm the only one that's ever felt this. Um, you know, like I said, the numbness thing, people say, I think something's broken. You know, I'm just not, my, I'll never have emotions again. Mm-hmm. Or some people think if I start crying, I'll never stop. Yeah. Um, and you will. I mean, the crying is, is actually very important to going through the grief process. Mm-hmm. Um, there can be a feeling, especially I think if you lose a child, that you want to be with your child, which people will misunderstand as suicidal thoughts. Yeah. Wanting to be with your child is not the same thing as being suicidal. Mm-hmm. If you're planning it and you're thinking about it and you're contemplating it, then you need to get professional help. But if you just have this longing to be with your child, that's a normal thing. I mean, every every parent wants to be with their child. Every parent wants to protect their child. Absolutely. So wh- one of the biggest things I tell people is like, whatever you're going through, it's probably normal. It's It's temporary. Um, you will get beyond it. it. It will get better, but it feels like it's going to be forever. Um, yeah. And I felt the same thing, you know, I, 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 so I can understand it. Thank you. Thank you so much. You authored the grief uh, to growth planted, not buried. So share that experience. Uh, well, it's interesting because um, after Shana passed, uh, I had several people in, intuitives telling me, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. Shana's telling me you need to write a book. So I thought it was going to be a book about like my life and my experience, which I haven't done. But I realized after all this working with parents, it's like I had a pretty good idea of what the grief journey was like. And I wanted to share my experience, what I had learned from the research that I had done. And I wanted to make it very compact because people going through grief, frankly, can't retain too much. You're literally brain damaged. Um, a lot of times they can't read. So I wanted to record it into an audiobook format. So I did that. But it's really just, a, it's kind of a handbook. It's kind of like, okay, here's probably what you're going to experience. Here are some things that can help you as you're going through the experience. Um, just a 
just a, a guide for people because when we find ourselves in that in that really really intense grief for the first time it's so disorienting and as i said you can feel very alone so i wanted people to understand okay someone else has gone through this and and you can go through it too yes um I'm excited. I have not bought it yet. Haven't read it, but I'm definitely going to do that. So Grief Nation listeners, um, please um, take your time out today and go to Amazon and purchase Grief to Grow by uh, Brian Smith. So let's also talk about um, during this pandemic and social injustice time, has there been anything that's been birthed? Because a lot of people, you know, we've been so busy during this time and a lot of things have just transpired um, and we're just in a space that things have come up for us individually because mm-hmm. of our grieving process or just what we've seen in the world. So talk to me about something that maybe um, you have created or just some thoughts around, you know, what's currently happening, um, especially in the black community. Yeah. Well, actually I have a lot to say on that. <laughs> when the, when the coronavirus first started myself and a lot of um, spiritual people or spiritual leaders for, for lack of a better word, um, and I want to say this in the wrong way so people get the wrong idea. It's still, it's a terrible, terrible, tragic thing. Yeah. But we thought maybe this is an opportunity. You know, my book is Grief to Growth, Planet Not Buried, because I believe that we grow from painful experiences. So not that we rejoice in the painful experience, but we can look forward to the growth. Mm-hmm. So when the virus came about, I'm like, well, what things will this reveal? What, what good things might come out of this? And two years from now, how might we be better off as a species, as, an over, as a whole? Mm-hmm. So those are, that's the way I tried to look at it. Frankly, it's been really disappointing that we're four months into this and we're so divided yeah. and it's, and it's so political. Uh, I'm still hopeful. I still hope that maybe things will get better, but we're not on the path that I was, I was hoping. So we have that we're going on. And then that's triggered with a lot of people, a lot of grief, people that have PTSD, yeah. you know, this has been stressful. Uh, people are worried about their jobs. People can't go out and socialize the way they were. So, I'm seeing it's compounding a lot of grief. It's, I mean, I've, I've seen people just, I've had to talk so many people down in the last couple of months, you know, with the pandemic. Yeah. And we've got the Black Lives Matter, you know, movement going on. And that's at a, another level of compounding on top of that. Um, so it's interesting, you and I talked about before we got started, I've created this, this experience, I call it, called the Racial Reconciliation Experience, where I, I it's mostly white people that are taking it, but it's for anybody. And I talk people through what's what's the history of racism in America, and how systemic it is, and how 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 uh, ubiquitous, how endemic it is. Yeah. It's, it's everywhere. So I talk people through that. I talk people through my own personal experience as a black man in America, because a lot of people don't know what it's like. So I try to help them with that. So I put this together because, frankly, people kept asking me to. And what's really interesting is a lot of people that asked me to put it together are now saying, "I'm too traumatized to take it right now." Because there's just so much going on. I just want to I just want to sit and chill and you know watch Netflix. You know, I don't wanna I don't yeah. want to get too deep into this. So the people that have gone through it have been really, you know, encouraged, I think, and really kind of enlightened. But we're all kind of on overdrive right now. Um, but like we were saying earlier, it's just like grief. Uh, we're going through this 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 collective grief right now as a nation, and we can either turn and face it and do the work, or we can try to turn away from it and deny it. And it's just gonna it's just gonna keep coming back. Yeah. So it's the same thing with grief. You just gotta you gotta dive in and take it head on and do the work. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for um, giving us your insight, especially during this time, which is very difficult for a lot of people. Like you stated, um, we don't really know how to feel at this time. We want to do more, but um, at the same time, we have to 
um, we're feel, having these feelings of um, needing to be more reserved. And I mm -hmm. think a lot of people that just don't know what to do right now, they're just sitting back watching to see, yeah. um, you know, because I think a lot of people are just afraid to say something right now. Um, no matter if they want to support, you know, uh, what you're actually doing with um, racism. Uh, what was, What's the name of it again? Because I want to make sure I'm clear. It's, I call it the racial reconciliation experience. Racial reconciliation. Okay. Yeah. And if so, you go to my website, it, it's you can find it there. Okay. Because I, I think even in groups and um, I'm a part of a women group that are shamans and, you know, a lot of them don't know what to say. And then some do know what to say. Um, you know, of course we, we utilize our, our spirituality, um, which is across the board. Okay. No matter what color that you are, if yeah. we just talking in that ram and that light and, you know, love on each other that way, but still yet I've seen a lot of people just kind of, you know, on certain posts that may be made or if this just watching the news and, and, and watching our president right now, um, you know, we can have all these highs and lows throughout the day. And then it's like, it kind of sets others back because it's like, okay, we're, we're, we're trying to be in this, race uh we're, we're trying to be in this foot race with our um, black community if if they're not black um and they're trying to support us but then something else happens during the day and it's like it's kind of putting it back to racism all over again so we're having this this divide and this split con con constantly during the daytime yeah. or at night whenever you know we have this flash of news of what's happening and it's just so um disheartening to know that um you know people that or our friends or um, our um, colleagues that do want to support our movements, um, it's kind of difficult for them right now just because of, you know, things just happening throughout the day and just not knowing how to support us. So that was my yeah. next question. How can the community support you um, when there's no um, certainty of just things is happening throughout the day that constantly change when we think we are moving forward, but then we're pushed back? Yeah, well, you, you touched on a lot of good stuff there. One thing, it's, it is a landmine out there. I mean, so people are scared. You know, I, I know some people that are kind of coming to me behind the scenes and saying, well, I can't say anything about this, but I'm glad you are because, because of my platform. Yeah. And because I'm seen as spiritual, I can't be political. Mm. Um, and, and everything right now is political. I mean, even putting on a mask is considered political. I mean, yeah. I, I, I say to people, if aliens came to our planet and saw that there's a virus going on, and half of us are wearing masks and half of us aren't. They would be and confused. it's because of our politics. They'd say, well, that doesn't make any sense. What does the science say? Right. And whichever side you fall on, it should not be a political issue. Yeah. Um, the way I look at it, though, frankly, everything is political. And I, I use Jesus as my example for like almost everything. And mm -hmm. people will say, well, Jesus wasn't political. Jesus was extremely political. That's uh -huh. why he was killed. He was He was basically killed for treason because Jesus was going up against the government and the religious leaders. So... I try to model my, my life on Jesus. So if people tell me, Brian, you're being too, too political. You know, that's not going to work for me. Um, yeah. So you ask me what people can do. It's, it's interesting. There's, there's a poor guy. He was a pastor in Atlanta and he, and he made it. He was trying to talk about white fragility and he used the term white blessing because he knew his church didn't like white fragility. So he used the term white blessing, trying to spare the feelings. Long story short, the guy got crucified because people said he was a, light, a white supremacist because he said that slavery was a white blessing. So mm -hmm. the thing is, we, we've got to kind of just got to get engaged. We got to, yeah. we got to get rid of the fear. Uh, we got to have permission to speak to each other, to talk to each other. Frankly, that's what I do in my, my experience. I'm like, all questions are, are, are welcome. I don't record them so people can be, you know, open about it. Yeah. 
And, but you know, it's tough. And I was with my, my neighbors the other day. I mean, I live in an all white area. So I was with, I, we haven't gotten together since March, but we were together Friday night. And I was telling them about, you know, just the experience that I have. And again, most of them said, yeah, this sounds really great. This sounds really great. But only one person has actually signed up for it yet mm-hmm. out of out of the group because people are still a little bit afraid. Yeah. We've been afraid. We've been friends for 20 years, but they don't really want to talk about this subject. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's, it's difficult to be in that space when you know, hey, we're, we're cool. We're friends. You know, we, uh, we should be used to having just this conversation because that's all it is just a conversation. No, right. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're right, wrong or indifferent, it's still just a conversation that needs to be had. But I, I'm so thankful and grateful that you have created a platform for this so that, you know, we can become more engaged um, with having the, t- you know, the topical conversation about it. So thank you for um, just enlightening us um, on that path. So, so tell me if you had to explain grief, what it is and what it is not, what is grief? Well, grief is, uh, I I define it in the book and I I can't remember exact words I use, but basically it's a profound sense of loss. Mm -hmm. So, and, and it's really kind of when, when your, your mind says one thing, like it should be this way and it's this way. So my daughter should be with me. Your son should be with me and they're not. I should have that job and I don't. I lost the job or I got divorced or whatever it is. So grief doesn't have to be the loss of a person. We typically think of it that way because that loss seems permanent. Mm-hmm. So we can we can lose a job and get another job. We can have an auto accident. We can buy another car. When we lose a person, that person can't be replaced. And if your belief is such that that person is gone, that's a permanent loss, that's what makes grief so profound. So what I try to do with people it's really all a matter of how you look at things. Everything's a matter of perspective. So if we can look at shift our view from I lost this person uh, and you're very really happy said that I lost Shana because I didn't lose her. She's not lost. Uh, I know where she is. I know that she's well. I know I can continue to have a relationship with her. So that's where I try to get my clients to. Uh, we still always have this sense of longing. It doesn't mean the grief ever goes away. We never heal from it. We never get over it. Um, but we learn to deal with it and it becomes, it becomes easier to carry. And I, I use an analogy. If you, if you're a weightlifter and you go to the gym, you start lifting a 25 pound weight. When you first start lifting it, it's going to feel very heavy, but eventually you're going to carry around. And you're not even going to feel it anymore. And that's kind of how grief is. It's like, we're still carrying that grief. It's still, it's still a little bit of a burden, but you know, if we know that we can talk to our kid all the time. If we know that every day, we're one day closer to seeing them again. If we know that they're, they're they're proud of us and they're cheering us on, then we can carry it a little bit easier. And we can actually look forward to our life and what can I accomplish between now and the time that I go to join them again. Yeah. Well, throughout the um, our interview, you've said a lot, a lot of different um, euphemisms in regards to um, death or transitioning or lost. Or, mm-hmm. So what is the correct terminology for you? Um, so that people can understand on all levels. Um, what is that? What are you, what would you say as far as your daughter um, no longer being here? Is it transition? Because a lot of people don't like to say uh, passed away. Some don't like to say dead. Or you so so. What is the 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 terminology that you would use for your daughter? Well, that's a good question. It depends on what audience I'm talking to. You know, if I'm yeah. talking to just you know lay people, and it's just you know, I, I might even use the word died. I mm-hmm. very rarely use the word died. 
Uh, I was fun talking to my friend the other day, Mark Pitstick, who's an expert on death and stuff. And he was, we were talking about how the language can be so cumbersome because in our society, the simplest way to say is dead. But dead is dead wrong mm -hmm. because people don't die. No one has ever died. Your body dies. So the body does die. And I was talking to my grief counselor, the first one that came to the house. And she said, when I hear people using euphemisms, I realize they haven't accepted yet that their person has died. And I'm like, no, that's not true. Mm -hmm. The body dies. And I've accepted the fact that Shana's body has died. And if, if, I, if I talk about Shana's body, I will say, we had Shana's body cremated. You'll never hear me say that we cremated Shana because mm -hmm. you don't cremate people. You don't bury people, you bury bodies. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a long way of answering your question, but I use lots of different terminology because it's really always a metaphor. Yeah. So transition is probably the one I use most often because it is. I mean, from their death experiences, we know when people... When their bodies stop functioning, they literally step out of it. They'll describe their body as it was like taking off an old coat. And I looked back at it and I was grateful for the time my body served me, but I felt no attachment to it. And I, I looked at it and I said, that's not me. So um, I use the word transition. Sometimes I'll use the word graduate. I read a book by a guy. I love this one. He called it risen. He, he called his loved one that passed on the risen ones because we actually rise when Absolutely. we come out of our body. And we need to look at it instead of we're going down into the grave, we're rising. So I like that term too. Oh, cool. That was really good. Thank you for sharing that. Now, have there, um, are, is there still any spiritual um, reactions or um, experiences that you still have with Shana today oh, or wow. just recent? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny because this happened just the other day. It was, I was, um, our, our ceiling fan in our in our bedroom has always been something Shana has messed with since she first transitioned. It's been five years. So the light coming on, the light going off, the fan coming on, the fan going off, it not working, it working. So the other day um, I was doing an interview and the fan had stopped working for a few days. So we thought we need to change the battery in, in the remote. And the day I was doing the interview, the fan just started working again. And the person in the interview asked me if I ever got any signs from Shane. And I said, actually, just a few minutes ago, the yeah. fan just came on again. Yeah. So that's just one. But like, the her our angel date was uh, June 24th, which was just a couple of weeks ago at this point, about a month ago. And I was like, I'm not going to ask for any signs because I don't want to be disappointed. Because I'm like everybody else, you know, I yeah. still I still have my ups and downs and doubts. And fifth anniversary is a tough one. So I was taking my wife to, to therapy. She had, she had a knee replacement. So we're driving to therapy and I'm you know, trying to get through the day. And my wife looks up at the, at the truck in front of us. And on the back of the truck, it wasn't a bumper sticker. It was like stencil in the back of the truck. It said, I am right here with an exclamation oh. point. And my wife looks at it. And I was out of it. She, she goes, that's a sign from Shana. I'm like, okay, could it be more obvious? Because, <laughs> you know, I am right here. Uh -huh. And then on the bumper, on the back window, there was one of those stickers uh, there's this logo people do now with the word home, and mm -hmm. it's H, and then the state is, in, is, is the O. So in our case, it's Ohio, M-E. Well, it was a home sticker, and it was the state of Ohio. And uh -huh. Shana, we live in Ohio, and Shana was born in Ohio. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I am right here. You know, I'm home. This mm -hmm. was a message that I got from that. Yeah. That was on her angel, you know, angel anniversary date. And on that date, we got several other signs. What, Like I said, the ceiling fan light coming on, it doesn't come on that often anymore. Yeah. But one of our friends that I asked Shana to turn on the light on her anniversary date, and it came on that day. Wow. So she's she's done things like my phone. She changed all my podcast covers on my phone for my episodes to a picture of her. <laughs> and it was only on my phone because I panicked at first. I thought, 
my entire podcast now has this picture of Shayna on the cover. Yeah. But it was only on my phone. Yeah. And I, I have no idea how she did that. Wow. Wow. That is so amazing. Yeah. I, I get things from Taiki all the time. Um, just recently, I remember him um, just sharing with me, mom, mom, you know, I, because he was a rapper as well. And he had, he left this um, huge catalog of his work. And just recently he was saying, you know, mom, uh, all the work that you've done, great, but can you please get my music out there? And I was just been so, um, I guess, afraid to kind of mm. release some of the things because he, he was into trap music, you know, that's a whole different lifestyle than what I lead. And so mm. I was a little concerned about that. And then one morning, my cell phone was just playing the song. And because mm. I had been, you know, kind of just dodging it. I mean, I know this is what I need to do as, as a parent is continually to, you know, spread his light and his journey and what mm -hmm. all he was going through because um, Taiki was originally shot in 2011. And this was after um, all of the music that he created after coming back from a traumatic brain injury um, that he wanted mm -hmm. to, that he wants to share. And mm -hmm. I'm, I was just not ready because I'm focused on my own goals of how I want to honor him. But yeah. he just kept showing and sharing, mom, you know, and it's like people really have to understand to, in order to have a, a conversation, uh, to have a, to communicate still with your loved one or to still have that relationship just commune with them, engage with them. You yeah, know, just, I, I have an altar. I have, you know, just not that. I just have my memories and I go in my, my spiritual space sometimes and I just still love on, on mm -hmm. him, you know, mm -hmm. too. And I know, just like you said, during those death anniversary dates, you know, it brings up all of these um, emotions and how we feel. So I'm so glad that you stated that um, because a lot of times people forget, even though they know it's coming up because we have we have this built up anxiety of that day coming, yeah, yeah. they don't know how to process it, but it's it's really just going through the day don't you think just yeah i know people that torture themselves about angel versaries i mean for for weeks or months in advance they'll just start you know it's going to be terrible and, and then frankly sometimes our friends actually add to that yeah. oh i know shane's our angel is coming up i know you're going to feel bad that day yeah um we what we do is every every birthday every angel anniversary day we have pizza we have ice cream we do the things that shana you know would want to do if she was here. So yeah. we make it an, an honor of her. When I tell people, um, I look at these things as not, when we, when, when someone transitions, it, we really sometimes stick them in the past. So we say, Shana, June 24th, 2015 was the last time I saw her. Mm -hmm. And so you can look at it like every day I'm moving away from her. This is the way I actually envisioned it at first. Mm -hmm. So every day it was just like, it was like hell because every day I'm getting farther from my daughter. I look at it now as every day I'm getting closer to my daughter because I'm going yeah. to see her again. Mm -hmm. And so when those angel dates come up, I look at them as milestones. So I'm like, I'm proud of myself. I made yeah. it five years. I never thought I'd make it five years. Yeah. So you celebrate those days. Don't don't look at them as like terrible times. Look at them as like, look how strong you are that you that you made it this far, which is what your loved one would want. And instead of looking at your journey as like, I'm going to live, you know, the rest of my life without her, look at I'm every day I'm moving closer to being with her. Yeah. Yeah. And honoring them in that way. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, how can our, my Grief Nation listeners reach you? Um, I'm on, my website is grief to growth.com. It's grief, the number two growth.com. And everything is the same thing. So my book is Grief to Growth. My podcast is, is Grief to Growth. Um, so you can you can find me there. Uh, I'm on Facebook. There, I have a Facebook page. It's also you know Grief to Growth. 
So I'm, I'm really active on Facebook. So people can friend me on Facebook or you can find me through my page. Okay. Thank you so much. And some of the, the episodes for your podcast and your YouTube channel, I, I, that's how I ended up finding you. I actually was just surfing through YouTube one day and looking up podcasts and that's how I came across you. And thank you so much for the interview that you also did with me. Um, yeah. You have so many amazing guests that have, um, you have brought on. And so what has been one of those episodes that you can mention that you know that has actually created some support for your community or that you are still able to refer others to? Wow, that's a, that's a great question. I've been so fortunate with the, my guest list. It's, I, I feel bad even mentioning any of them to, to leave oh, others. Okay. <laughs> but, um, you know, I do a lot of uh, interviews with near-death experiencers. And the thing about a near-death experience is a tangible touch to the other side. Yeah. And and people might say, well, it's it's a hallucination of a dying brain. It's certainly not. It's been proven that it's not. There's what's called veridical near-death experiences where people can actually say things that are validated by what was going on in the room when they were mm-hmm. supposedly dead or yeah. something that went on even down the hall or across the country. So some one of, one of my favorites, there is a woman named Heidi Craig who had a near-death experience. And um, she said three things to me that she learned from her near-death experience. One is that Everything is as it should be, and all will be well. Every, all will be as it should be, and we're unconditionally loved all the time, no matter what. We're never alone. And I don't think I'll ever forget that. Just that's just three very simple lessons that she learned from her near-death experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also interviewed a lot of shining light parents, yeah. and seeing the resilience that they've been through. Uh, I interview healers, people that can help people, you know, go through, you know, what, what we all have to go through. Um, I just interviewed a guy named Dr. Mark Pitstick, which that's, that one's not up yet, but he's just like a death expert. The guy's been studying death for like 47 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so just the wealth of knowledge. So it, it's just, it's a whole variety of, of different people. Uh, I try to introduce people to, to new ideas. I've got a guy coming up. Hopefully he'll make the interview because I'm, I'm so excited to interview him. Whole, it's, it's called idealism. It's a whole different, it's a philosophy of how we look at the world. And I really believe that if people looked at the world this way, it would change the way we feel about ourselves as human beings. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't have time to go into it right now, but it's so what I, what I, I, what I try to do with people is I'm not asking anybody to have faith. I'm not asking anybody to believe in anything I say. It's all about me presenting to you evidence. It's all about me presenting you, to you different ways to look at things um, to help people to understand that, you know, that there's a greater reality out there that, that, we don't really see on a day-to-day basis yeah. and to and to make a shift in perspective. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. I'm kind of, I'm glad that I kind of touched back on that because I feel as though for my, um, for my grief nation listeners, for anyone that happens to come across my page, that's what the work is there for. It's a collective group of people of individuals that I have, you know, um, interviewed, but yet, um, I guess I could say just how I have broken down the playlist from different varieties of, you know, the, the aspect of grief, uh, experts to survivor, uh, moms that also are affected by gun violence. Mm-hmm. And uh, because a lot of times, you know, when, for me, when I go to, um, different podcasts and I, I'm looking for, you know, just some inspiration or whatnot, I'm not looking at the the entirety of the, you know, the YouTube channel. So right, I wanted right. you to definitely talk about that. Just, you know, breaking down your playlist of who all have I, who, who all can I identify that has supported me? And then I can also relate, you know, clients or 
coachable people that wants to be supported, here are some things that I can um, refer you to. Listen to these podcasts uh, yeah. so that you can learn and be more engaged with uh, a new community that you can become part of or mm-hmm. just, you know, I, I just think it's what we're doing as far as podcasters and talking about grief, just not grief specifically. We just have this array of stuff, you know, information and data that's available to individuals. So I'm just so grateful that you are on this platform as well and that you are sharing all the people that you know and you're giving us so much insight on the, um, the talks about grief and dying and just in general be, becoming resilient. So thank you so much. Yeah, really- I, I guess uh, the commonality is growth. I mean, I, yeah. I do talk grief to growth. Um, that's that's because that's where I, how I got to where I am but the one thing that ties all my guests together is it's about growth it's about yeah. how do we how do we become the people that we are meant to be how do we so whether that's triggered by grief which it is for a lot of people mm-hmm. or maybe you haven't experienced grief but you say I, I want to grow without going through it mm-hmm. um you know, I, I, when I talked to near-death experience I just interviewed a young man last week uh who had a near-death experience at the age of 24 and we were saying everybody says people that learn about near everybody says i want a near-death experience it's like no you don't no, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah it's it's rough you don't want one yeah. but you can get the lessons of a near-death experience just by listening to them this has been documented by 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 research yeah so i encourage everybody before you have a near-death experience before you have a grief thing study near-death experiences yeah. they will they will literally change your life oh absolutely i can tell you i, I went through that with my son when he was originally you know, shot back in 2011 and having mm-hmm. that experience. And actually, um, he didn't realize this, but when I remember doing his interview um, with the detectives, he was telling them that um, his best friend that that was our, that was killed um, in the double shooting as well, mm-hmm. that he um, woke him up and was telling him to get up and get up. And, you know, over some mm-hmm. time they were saying, no, that couldn't have happened because he was shot twice. Um, so we know that he never was able to get out of the car, you know, just from evidence. And yeah, uh, but Taiki just really was focused on, yes, I know the only reason I got up because he ended up getting out of the car. Mm-hmm. He got out of the car and was trying to make it back to the hospital because they were on the hospital grounds. And um, he just really, really in his whole heart felt that his friend told him to get up and was shaking him up. That's how he was able to get up. But that death, near death experience for him was very traumatic. Mm-hmm. And of course, five years later after that, Taiki died by gun suicide. So yeah, just, you know, it's difficult um, going through that. And I'm so glad to hear that you do, or that you have interviewed a lot of individuals that have gone through the near death experience. And I'm going to definitely um, make sure that I share, you know, those videos because it's important. Um, yeah. The, 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 well, this episode, it should come out actually tomorrow. Uh, okay. guy, the guy's yeah. name is Chris Keto. Yeah. And it was really good because uh, a lot of times with the near death experience, we think it's all love and light. Mm. And it's great. But yeah. the thing is that, especially for young people, integrating that back into your life. And I interviewed PMH Atwater, who's the number one researcher on near death experiences. And she was saying for adults, it takes like up to seven to 14 years to integrate the near-death experience. For children, it could be 20, 30 years to integrate it. Yeah. So for, for a young man like like your son, we don't we don't realize how difficult it is to come back from that and to function in this world again. Right. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for being on the It's the Miami Night Show Grief Talk. Um, is there anything else that um, is happening currently um, in your community that you're serving that you would like to see change or bring further awareness to before we go? 
Um, no, I would encourage people, if you're interested in, in the racial stuff that's going on right now, right now it's, I think, pretty time in my racial reconciliation experience, which you can, you can find on my page. Um, as we're all going through the coronavirus and, and everything else we're going through, you know, be gentle with yourself, but there's always a balance too. And it's, it's, a, it's an opportunity. It's a time for us to do the work. We're, a lot of us are spending a lot more time at home. We're spending a lot more time. We can have some self-reflection. So take this as an opportunity to do some work on yourself as well. Thank you so much, Brian. Have a great day. All right. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Well, there you have it, Grief Nation listeners. And thank you for tuning in to another transformative segment on It's the Miami Night Show Grief Talk. Today, we give thanks filled with love and gratitude for our special guest, Brian Smith, for expressing your unique grief journey and sharing ways of understanding the healing process. This is your girl, Miami Knight, with much love and light until we connect again spiritually. Bye-bye. <laughs>